guys, welcome again to Essential Workers. I'm Mike Wyskowski and I'm here with Dr. Star McKinnon. Uh, Dr. Star is a licensed clinical psychologist specializing in mind, body, spirit, holistic wellness. She has had a lifelong fascination with spirituality, consciousness, and everything esoteric. And Star was one of the first people to join us on Essential Works TV recording a teaching series, which is turning out really great. And I just uploaded the, the next episode, episode five, uh, last night. And I made a, I took out a little snippet of it, which is the uh, the snippet that you called the emotional expansion exercise. But that'd be pr- pretty good for people to have as a convenient clip, and also we'll make that free for everyone to 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 look at because I feel like it's this is some really great material I've been releasing, and I'm really grateful for you for for joining on the platform and help, helping people get this information out. Um, so, would you like to share anything um, to start out with about yourself and um, how you how you got into this path and what interests you and what your goals are? Yeah, thank you, Mike. I want to thank you for giving me the opportunity to join today. And it's definitely my pleasure and my honor to be a part of the series that we put out together. Um, any opportunity for me to be able to, to reach a broader audience, I'm just so grateful for. Um, so in terms of myself, I I grew up in uh, just outside of Seattle, Washington, in a non-religious um, non-spiritual family, but I found myself very in tune with the trees around me and found myself doing very odd things for a little girl, like uh, staring at a candle flame in my room for hours and practicing. Um, basically, what I was doing was practicing focusing my attention and my consciousness. And um, and I didn't know what I was doing back then, but um, Yeah, it started very young for me. I was kind of an odd duck. I didn't really fit in because I thought uh, about things and saw the world very differently, which caused me to really have a struggle with myself earlier in life and feeling like uh, there was something wrong with me or, you know, that I was just kind of an oddball and and, um, I struggled through a lot of challenges in my upper teens with drug addiction and um, just sort of tuning out, tuning out from my light because it was too much for other people. And I didn't understand it either. And then I was able to free myself from that experience um, on my own, which was very powerful. And throughout my whole process, I had been exploring spirituality and anything that I could get my hands on and following multiple different Uh, spiritual teachers and practicing forms of meditation. But once I entered recovery and stopped tuning out from myself um, in my mid-20s, my spiritual journey really accelerated. And there's been a series of other events along the way that have really catapulted me forward, um, like the sudden death of my only sibling. And I also walked through the experience of um, healing an an aggressive form of cancer. what the doctors would call spontaneously. They didn't quite believe that I couldn't do it with all of their tactics and techniques. But um, yeah, so I've had a lot of my own uh, personal experiences um, along with the use of psychedelics. I think that's helped me to really enhance my experience of life on this planet. And I became a psychologist, which was a dream of mine for a long time. But as these 
events continued to happen in my life, I decided to turn my focus to serve the spiritual community because there's a lot of, of counselors and psychologists that might call you crazy or even psychotic or you know delusional if you come to them and you share some of the things that the spiritual awakening community is going through. And so it's it's my honor to hold a space for anybody who's having odd or unusual experiences or encountering other types of beings or entering other types of dimensions through different experiences. Um, I can know. stop right there and ask, so are you able to offer remote sessions to people? Is that what you do? I do offer remote sessions. Yes, I um, I can Zoom with you just about anywhere you are. Sometimes the time zones get a little bit tricky when I'm seeing people on the other side of the world, but usually we can make it work out. Um, yeah, so I can I can see you just about anywhere that you are. And so how would people get connected then? Um, so you can connect with me through my website, which is flourishwithstar, with two R's, dot com. And um I do want to say that right now, I because there's been such an influx of people looking for these services and so many more people awakening on this planet, um, I do have a fairly full caseload at this time. Um, and so there is a little bit of a wait. You know, if you felt like you were inspired to work together, it might be at least a few weeks out. But um, that's it doesn't mean that I don't want to work together or that, you know, there isn't a way that we could connect and and learn from each other. So feel free to reach out to me if you're feeling inspired um, after reading my website or listening today. That's really great. Yeah, I, I've noticed that um, the the range of issues people are facing in our community is, is so big. And there's so many things that people can be going through that, um, you know, they, they get looked at as they're crazy, like you, mm -hmm. like you said. And I, I, I just started some meetup groups in town and I've noticed it's like, that's the, practically the main thing that's needed for a lot of people is therapy. They, they just need somebody to talk to and to process some of the information that they, they feel that they're, they're having to process that doesn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. And so do you have, do you see any patterns that like, are people going through um, shifts that seem to be based on the, the times that we're in? Mm -hmm. Definitely. I definitely think that there are certain patterns and themes that play out in the awakening community. Oftentimes, oftentimes people on the spiritual path, in my opinion, and what I've witnessed, suffer a lot more challenges and traumas. And I think that, you know, it was designed that way to sort of break us open and challenge us to turn inward um, more so than, you know, um, someone else who may not have chosen to walk such a spiritual path in this lifetime. Um, so oftentimes they grew up in families that were very dysfunctional or traumatic um, or have suffered uh, very challenging life experiences and almost always have felt alone in it, almost always have felt like their family or friends didn't really understand them or couldn't support them. And um, and then they start doubting themselves. You know, they start doubting, um, am I crazy? You know, what, you know, what the heck is actually going on here? Who am I? And you know, do I acquiesce to what everyone else is doing and saying, or do I continue to walk my own path and just try to figure it out? Um, but yeah, I think the, you know, the COVID academic, uh, epidemic also created sort of a, a mass contraction for the planet, for people who are forced to go inward and forced to 
be pushed closer into relationships with each other, with their partners or people that they were in isolation with. And so I think it actually created a, a larger catalyst for change in terms of people's inwards reflections and inner work, and also their relational work and really evaluating, am I living a life that I'm in alignment with or not? Yeah, it seems like a lot of stuff is kind of repeating patterns even from childhood too. And one of the things I love in the in the raw material is that they say, uh, the book's called The Raw Contact Books. They say that um, people who are positively oriented will often choose more challenging life experiences. They won't pick an easy life. They'll, mm -hmm. pick, they'll pick the harder life because they know that there's more potential benefit to get through those um, those blockages that that maybe that had existed from previous lives, or maybe it's something that they just felt that they they, they wanted to go through in this lifetime to open their hearts more or give them the catalyst to potentially open their hearts more and break through a, a lot of walls. It feels like there's a lot of potential people have when they when they really dig in and get through some of the hardest things in their, in their I guess, their history, their childhood traumas and the fears. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah. do you feel like, um, you know, we're kind of just living our childhoods over and over again until we work, work through it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's part of the game that we're playing. I think we come in as, you know, more of a pure essence with a, a framework of a, a personality. And then I think we're conditioned in a certain way by our early childhood experiences and relationships. And then we're sort of playing out that wounding and some of that patterning until we heal at a deeper level. And that healing process is what really helps us to evolve and remember who we are beyond that conditioning and beyond those experiences. And that's what's so powerful. And that's really where the learning is and the expansion of awareness occurs as well as we start to remember, oh, well, I'm not these beliefs that I've developed or I'm not the choices that my prior family members made. And I'm something more than that. Do you think people have to make a connection to childhood when they're when they're processing their, their issues and that they seem to be current issues? Do you think they have to go back there? Mm -hmm. That's a really great question. You know, there are a lot of therapists that will spend most of their time in childhood. And I'm someone who believes that it's important to reflect on where you came from, but not to stay there. You know, I think I think it is worth at least looking at together, um, even if it's just briefly, um, what your initial conditioning was. But but more so, my focus is what's going on now. You know, what what is your relationship with your mind like now? What are your relationships with yourself and others like now? And um, where where do you want them to be? And what's getting in the way of that? And how do we shift that? But I do think people can get lost kind of cycling around in what was in the past. And um, and I don't know that it really serves the healing process as much as just trying to move forward differently from here. Yeah, I've noticed it seems like like the roommates that I've had, the people that I've been close to, they, they kind of have aspects of my mother and father in them and sometimes aspects of my siblings. And it seems as though the, you know, the mother and father karma seem to be more directly connected to my my core personality distortions. But at the mm -hmm. same time, seeing it played out in different people over and over, that I, it's kind of like different mirrors, different angles of the same mirror, I guess, but different, different, slightly different char personality characteristics allow me to sort of explore mm -hmm. what what is it about me that I'm that I'm wanting to see. I guess what is it mm -hmm. about me that's still triggered. And mm -hmm. so, yeah, I found a lot of value in seeing how, how much is this person like my dad? How much is this person like my mom? Yes. Person like me. 
Mm-hmm. Yes, it's so magic the way that that life works that way that, you know, all of these external characters and circumstances are really just shining a light on what needs to be healed within us. And, and I'm glad that you said that that's then when I'm looking at, oh, what is this bringing up in me? Because that's really the only piece we have control over is, you know, what can I do with that to become a more aligned version of the being that I want to be? It also seems like there's a lot to do with uh, people's like ambitions and drive in life that is kind of like on a cyclical pattern. Some people may be stuck in like wanting to see a particular kind of success for themselves that may be mm. connected to something that they felt their parents wanted to see in them. At least that's the way I feel like I'm kind of processing that right now. Mm-hmm. And it's like, uh, you know, understanding what, what, what actually matters in life is kind of like a question I have to keep coming back to. What's, what is the true abundance for me? And it mm-hmm. seems to keep coming back to the spiritual path. Yeah, I love that question too. And I had a feeling that that was going to come up today, which is this idea of purpose, right? And and so many people, I think, get caught up in what purpose really is and what it means and what it looks like. And I think that a lot of the idea of what our purpose should like is conditioned into us by our families and our cultural norms and society. And I, I think especially those of us on the Um, spiritual path, start questioning that sooner rather than later of like, gosh, even though I have this degree or I have, you know, this um, career, I sure don't feel fulfilled. I sure don't feel like myself, you know, and even if they move in the direction of something that they do feel like is in alignment with them, you can still feel like you're not quite fulfilled or living your purpose. And so I personally think that our Um, our purpose is to become the fullest expression of divinity that we uniquely are in this lifetime. And that is about doing this inner work. And that was one of the whole purposes of this series of this inner journey series was to help you to more clearly identify what your true essence is and what the pieces are that are sort of influencing that and moving around it. Because um, we really feel like we're living a purposeful life when we can step into each moment, each day as the brightest expression that we came to be. Yeah. Yeah. And I find that there's also value in like, if I feel like I'm not able to achieve my ambitions to kind of step back and like recenter myself in the fact that, you know, I've, I've already found um, peace in my life I, or peace mm-hmm. at least is always available mm-hmm. and I don't have to always be. And I, I do wonder about like the connection between like our culture being more one of uh, narcissists and that, and that there's, there's always this, this quest to see achievement connected to something outside of ourselves. You know, it's yes. always this, this goal, but I feel like, you know, making, making peace, the goal, you, you realize, you, you know, gratitude is always available. But it, but it always feels like there's walls to to getting back to gratitude that that, that seem to be part of this processing that's so challenging sometimes. Mm, yeah, yeah, and some of those internal walls I think are just the expectations that we've subconsciously built up for ourselves that um, equate to success, right? And I think you're right that our culture does value achievement and money and status as a a signification of worth or value. And that's really, you know, um, I I work with people who are um, multi-millionaire businessmen and they have very successful, looking at them, you know, externally have very successful lives and they're miserable. 
and they feel no meaning in their life and they don't like themselves and they have zero peace in their heart, you know, so those things certainly don't equate to fulfillment. And I do think that there's quite a lot of distortion built around, you know, what that means and how to get there. So what advice do you give people who are struggling like that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think um, I think that the most important thing is really getting in alignment with yourself, you know, and I, one of the things that I also offer to people is um, when you look at end of life studies, you know, when you look at people who are in um, hospice care and they're really reflecting on the meaning and the value and did I succeed? Did I live a fulfilling life that I can feel good about? And they certain, certainly are not saying, I wish I would have gotten another degree. I wish I would have made another $50,000. I wish I would have bought another house. I wish I would have had more fame. You know, they're almost always saying, I wish I would have slowed down to love more those around me. I wish I would have spent time enjoying the moments that really gave my life meaning, you know, and that's exactly what you're talking about is, you know, experientially each day, are you getting the most juice out of your life experience in terms of of that, you know, the feelings, you know, the beauty that life has to offer and the simplicity um, of those little moments rather than, you know, thinking these achievements are going to get us there. Yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting that, you know, the, you, you could say the medical system even is trying to say people need to find happiness as an achievement through the pharmaceuticals that they're giving. And yes. People always place the the goal further, further along and, and try to figure out how to, how to, how to find drugs that'll do it. But of course, the most useful drugs that I've I feel are the most useful drugs. It's psychedelics seem to be mm-hmm. off the table for most people around this country. Although fortunately, Colorado and state, the state of Colorado, they just passed Proposition 122, which has now legalized the personal use and sharing of um, many natural plant medicines, which is re- really fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it remains to be seen how far that'll go. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're kind of setting up a, a, a body now, a official state body to investigate how to actually um, begin administering these things in a, in a, in a very safe way. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know that you know a lot of people are kind of stuck on pharmaceuticals, and I don't know how common the problem is. I've heard statistics that like most people in this country are taking pharmaceuticals, mm-hmm. and I don't know if, in general, those are actually like deadening people's ability to actually um, go within and, and meditate and find peace. Do you have any thoughts on that? Mm-hmm. Yes, there, there's a couple. I mean, this is such a big conversation. There's several things I want to say about everything that you've brought up. One that I want to start with is the assumption of um, healthy, happy normality in this country, that if they're, if you're feeling down or you're feeling fearful, that um, there's something wrong with you and you need to get that fixed immediately. And the solution is to go and, and take a pill so that you can fit in with everyone else and not, um, you know, people are so uncomfortable with emotions um, that the easiest solution is just taking these and and kind of um, numbing the symptoms that that come forward from life. You know, life includes sadness and life includes fear and struggle and um, 
And I think that the true difference between the pharmaceutical industry and approaches and something like psychedelics is that pharmaceuticals are essentially just a band-aid for the symptoms. They're not actually treating the root cause of what's um, underneath or what's causing those symptoms to be surfacing in the first place. And sure, they'll, they'll, and, and I don't get me wrong. Like I, do think that for some people that um, pharmaceuticals has served them to find a place of balance and to find a place where they can function a little bit better in their lives to do the deeper work, you know, and they may choose to come off of them at a later point. I'm not someone who's going to say, you know, they're all bad because I do think that life also created pharmaceuticals for a reason. Um, but I do think that that we have better and longer standing and more more um, deeper healing interventions that are becoming available to us, one of them being the psychedelics, which do seem to heal us from the inside out. They do seem to change our brain chemistry and the way that our brains wire um, together, the different sections of our brains wired together to heal depression and trauma and anxiety and um, and a lot of things in a very rapid period of time compared to traditional therapy. So I'm a, I'm a very big proponent um, of it. I have, you know, I have to be careful because in the state that I'm in, it's, it's not necessarily legal yet, but it is um, something there's a lot of us practitioners are sort of on the edges, just paying very close attention to the research, which has been very promising for these substances and I do think it's going to be a matter of time before it's legalized more generally in a lot of different states. And so those of us who see the power in it are trying to figure out how to approach these substances in a very safe and ethical and the most um, effective way for true treatment. Because I think one of the concerns we have is, yes, they're going to be legalized and people are going to be taking them, you know, and kind of hoping to feel better. But um, they are not something to be, you know, messing with, like, you know, unconsciously, like just taking it and saying like, okay, well now I'm going to be happy. You know, there's, in my opinion, there's a lot of respect that you need to have for the process and the medicines themselves and going into it very intentionally and then integrating, you know, the experience, um, to really get the true full healing. We could possibly transition into talking a little bit about this um, emotional expansion exercise concept. I've, I've noticed that, like, um, you know, as you're saying that people often want to just numb or they want to sweep under the rug the the, the bad feelings. And, um, you know, I've noticed with like MDMA, for example, um, certainly um, I, I've known that, you know, the, the, the best use and the, the um, you know, the therapy sense of the use of MDMA is to actually have someone who's guiding the the person who's on MDMA through their their traumas. You, you actually go visit each thing, and somehow the way that the MDMA is helping a person release serotonin makes it so that all the negative, almost it's like a chemical thing that the body's doing when you have that when you have that memory or that 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 pattern that you're you're going through that seems very negative. When mm -hmm. you when you go visit that, it seems like the MDMA puts you in a space where it doesn't feel, it doesn't have the negative feeling that it once had, even though all the thoughts and beliefs around it are still there. Yes. And so when you can, it's, it's like when you can re-approach re those from a different feeling. And then this also brings up the question of what what is, what is this relationship between our feelings and our thoughts and beliefs? 
And do we have to recognize that there that these are separate concepts and just get to get to a better state where we're, we're physically in a good space before we do our processing, and then mm-hmm. and then really dive deep intentionally with with the processing, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, I, I do think that compounds like MDMA are um, incredibly powerful because they allow us to be in the presence of very intense fear and very intense sadness without being affected by it. And so we can just be there completely present with the experience itself and all the thoughts and the memories that are associated with it without being overwhelmed by the emotional experience of the fear itself. And so in that place, we can really gain a different perspective and change the way that we are able to process through what happened. Because I think for a lot of people, when they're going into it in traditional therapy, they very easily get dysregulated. And that's what, you know, when we're working with veterans and things like that, a lot of what we're doing is trying to keep them regulated and trying to teach them grounding and how to cope with the symptoms of that fear that come up when we're doing this deeper work. And MDMA just eliminates all of that. It just allows us to be completely with the trauma and the memories and to sit together with it. I think there is something very powerful about doing it with a therapist who can, who knows the background and knows your story and can say, so, so what do we see now? And what do we feel now? And, and really helping you to process and integrate that experience so that it no longer has such an effect on your psyche and you can let it go and begin to truly heal and move forward from there. I'm really excited about the MDMA. And I think that uh, psilocybin is another one that's um, those two compounds, I think, are going to be helping us to revolutionize mental health and, and healing as we know it. And do you think that if a person actually has a strong enough will to actually like face their their traumas that they don't really need any drugs they can just they can just do it at any time mm-hmm. yes i do think that there are people who can do it without the substances it's not easy but there are people all the time that i'm working with who just feel like i have to do this i have to heal i'm tired of living in fear you know and um they're willing to walk into it it's it's very challenging you know because they're their body responds, you know, there's such a visceral response to the memories and the process that um, it can be very challenging and overwhelming. But it certainly is possible to do these things um, without, you know, having to use substances to help. There's a great quote in the raw contact about the subject of anger. And it basically says that there's two different ways to use anger. Um, On the positive path, the person will uh, who's trying to use anger to benefit others, they will actually intensify the anger. They'll love the anger in and of itself, which is a very strange thing to recognize that anger is just like an energy that you can use. You can actually kind of expand your consciousness because of that energy that's that's coming up in you. And once you, once you intensify that energy, you can actually learn to integrate it better. Without the intensification, apparently, it's much harder to do the, the integration of it. Mm-hmm. And then they say on the negative path, that's the path of control where you're just kind of channeling the, the energy outwardly, but, mm-hmm. but to channel that energy towards the purpose of finding a, a new way to forgive, a new way to accept that which is, that which is perfect at the moment. Mm-hmm. That's, the, that's the best way to, to actually like expand and, and utilize the, the emotions that are present. 
Mm-hmm. Yes, right. Any emotion. So even beyond anger, you can use any deep emotion to, if you're really willing to embrace it and invite it into your experience and sort of let it move through you, it does increase your awareness. It does help us to evolve. And I think that's part of the power of emotional experiences, which I know Corey has talked about, you know, that we're very emotional creatures on this planet. And so I think that we have a very high uh, potential for using our emotions as almost as a spiritual tool, if we're relating to them in an open and loving way, because they really do help to expand our awareness and our consciousness, if we allow them to. But I think most people are wrestling with them or distracting from them or numbing. And because it's not socially appropriate, you know, to feel these big feelings and they're just trying to kind of get forward through their day or get forward through their life, or they're afraid of what it might do to them to fully open up to them. But that's really the key, you know, to having more, uh, a stronger relationship with yourself, building more trust in yourself by showing yourself you're capable of holding any emotion. And then once you let those really powerful emotions move through you, like anger or fear or sadness, you see that you're actually stronger and more expanded in some ways. So do you think meditation is essential for this? That's a really good question. I think... um, I I have been meditating for so long, and it's something that I recommend to anyone that I'm working with that I, I, I won't say that it's not possible, you know, to do this work and to continue to evolve without meditation being a part of it at all. But I will say that meditation is certainly something that um, helps to facilitate and accelerate the process. Um, And I I can't imagine my life without meditation. Um, And I I have witnessed it helping so many other people that I work with in terms of tuning in to their truth and their essence. Um, I think there's probably other ways, you know, of doing it as well, but I do think that it's one of the most powerful tools that we have. And another um, subject that seems to be maybe connected that, you know, so it's, it's, so meditation is something where it feels like, you know, we can just, regardless of what's going on in our lives, we can make it our priority to set aside a few minutes to, to work on work on ourselves without even having any agenda for what what it is we're doing during that time period of time. But I also think it's possible like with diet, like if we, if we are very focused on eating, eating a certain way that seems to be better, um, we can maybe break out of old patterns too that way. Um, But do you feel that diet is essential that we have, that we have to continuously focus on changing the way we eat too? Mm -hmm. I do think it's something again, that accelerates and supports the process very significantly. I do think that, um, you know, how we choose to relate to food and what we choose to provide to our physical vessel um, can certainly increase our ability to be in tune with higher levels of consciousness and more in tune with our intuition. Um, but again, any recommendations there on diet specifically. Yeah. You know, um, I recommend that you are in tune with your own vessel because I think that um, 
Personally, I'm someone who does focus on eating um, high vibrational foods, living foods, organic foods. Um, but um, I do know that there are some people who feel like um, denser foods actually help them ground, you know, um, like things like meat and um, and dairy and things like that actually help them to ground or to feel like they have more energy. Um, and so I, I really think it's an individual process, but the key is being conscious. So being conscious of what I'm putting in my body and why and how that's affecting my relationship with my body. How is my body responding to what it is that I'm choosing to put into it? Because I don't know that there is one specific diet for all human beings' bodies because we're all slightly different chemically. Um, and so some, for some people, they may benefit from eating some clean meats, um, you know, that can help them to have more energy or feel more grounded in their skin. Yeah, that's, that's, I, I've noticed that too, you know, people are all different. Um, mm -hmm. Obviously supplements can be that way too. I, th I feel like there's certain, certain herbs people can take and feel a bit more peace from, from that. Um, and I don't know if that's a nutritional thing or if that's a, like a prana kind of thing where there's some kind of life force energy in the plants that is helping people have just a little bit more energy to get through, get through what they're processing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But again, I think for some people, they may benefit from certain herbs and plants and some people may not have that same effect. So it really is about um, tuning into what you're drawn to and then paying attention to how your body responds and your mind, how your mind functions as well, based on what you're putting in your body. Yeah, I, it's very interesting that, um, you know, fasting teaches me a lot about why I'm eating too. Mm -hmm. Like the, the energy that I have with food, it's like there's almost like um, a subconscious um, energy that I'm placing on the food when I'm eating it, when, I, when I'm eating it aggressively or when I'm eating it unconsciously, that seems to be different than when I'm um, consciously eating it. It seems like it's more um, a peaceful experience after I've eaten it. If I, mm -hmm. if I, if I'm aware of what I'm doing, what I'm eating. Mm -hmm. Yes, most definitely. And I think there's a lot of people that eat very unconsciously and they eat in sort of a, a, a rapid way, you know, mindless way. But I do think that um, food can hold intention and can hold energy. I mean, we, um, you may be familiar with um, Dr. Emoto's work um, with the water crystals. And so even people who are preparing the food, if they're preparing the food with love and gratitude versus, you know, someone who's slapping a burger together and they're irritated that they're working that job and then you eat it and you don't feel so great, you know, um, I do think that that, um, you know, energy and intention can be infused into just about everything. And food is one of those things that we can really be conscious about. So I was thinking we could also dive into some common issues people have, like um, if someone is just completely depressed and they don't know how to pick themselves up again, and it seems like everything's just bringing them back to the downward spiral. Do you, do you have any things people can do that just kind of stop that spiral? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, if someone comes to me and their their main issue is that they're feeling depressed, they're feeling lost, they feel like they just can't get out of that cycle, you know, it is going to be a very individualistic process of, of kind of hearing what are some of the different components of your life and what is some of your background. But there are, you know, some main approaches that we use to 
address certain types of presentation like depression or anxiety or relationship issues, you know, and for depression specifically, actually for, for a lot of the issues that come in, I would say probably 75% of it has a direct relationship to um, your mind and how you relate to your mind. Um, and so um, depression especially is a tricky one because people are being really bombarded by a lot of negative, heavy types of thoughts and beliefs. And if they listen to a depressed mind, a depressed mind is not going to tell you to get outside and get some fresh air and, and have some sunshine or to call a friend or to eat healthy food. You know, it's and so if you're listening to that depressed mind and you're making decisions based on, you know, what it's encouraging you to do, you can stay in that loop or even worsen that depression. You know, so some of the two of the key components for approaching depression are. Um, having a healthier relationship with the mind. And one of the episodes um, in the series is completely focused on um, mind techniques and how you can have a healthier, better relationship with your mind. And then the other is um, what we call behavioral activation in the, in the field of psychology, which is essentially, even though you don't feel like it, getting yourself engaged in life, you know, so getting your body moving, getting your skin out and into natural light at some point during the day and trying to be connected socially, even if you don't feel like it, they're reinforcing, even if you really don't feel like going, you're going to feel uplifted after you do those things. And it's also going to change and reinforce the chemicals in your brain that fight the depression. Yeah, yeah, it seems like there's definitely something around being with other people that their energy is kind of contagious sometimes. So mm -hmm. finding the high vibe people to be with is a good idea. And I always recommend people find other others around them on meetup.com. That seems like a really great resource. Mm -hmm. Meetup is a really great resource. Yeah. And I do think that part of being around other people is just about getting out of ourselves, you know, because I think even with with a lot of mental health issues we get so caught up in and almost obsessed with ourselves and caught in our own cycles of thinking and so when we can be in the presence of others it sort of pulls us out of that it gives us a break it gives us some relief from those patterns and then when we come back into our own energy you know it feels a little bit different yeah that's such a great point and it feels like it's almost like a foundation of a spiritual path to be a little bit more focused on service to others than on service to self and I've noticed with with myself using the word me and my and I, and and if if my if my mind is continuously thinking about me, then mm -hmm. it's almost just like a, I'm creating a movie that has no purpose. It's just like <laughs> an endless distraction. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, and you know, others are all reflections of us. You know, so there's something to be learned, something to be gained. You know, I'm paying attention even to the guy at the gas station, you know, who, who's saying good morning and, and sharing some little thought with me. It's like, okay, well, so, you know, these little reflections of um, different aspects of me have um, something to teach me, you know? So when you live with that type of awareness, and even if you're not feeling great and you enter into a space, and I think, like you said, Mike, it's, it is important to be conscious when you're, when you're not feeling you know, like your best self to surround yourself with people who are more conscious or, you know, higher vibrational people, because you certainly don't want to surround yourself with people that are going to take you deeper into the depths. Um, but I do think that, you know, connection with 
um, others, even people that you don't know, can sometimes help teach you or say something to you that, you know, gives you just what you needed to see things a little bit differently and and move into a different space. Yeah. And do you think that there are different voices in people's heads all the time that are like entities? Do you ever think of it in that way? Mm-hmm. You know, um, I I don't, you know, I, I do know that there are people who do live with things like DID, dissociative identity disorder, where they have developed different forms of identities based on um, traumatic experiences that they had to endure at a younger age. But I do think that there are um, just naturally very different aspects of ourselves, of our own being that lives within us. And some of those are very conscious and some of those are very unconscious, you know, and so sometimes we get little glimpses of different aspects of us. And I think that's why it's important to do the deeper work, including shadow work, you know, that really helps us to see some of those parts of ourselves that might not feel familiar you know, that that might feel like uh, we don't completely understand them or they feel different from us in some way. But oftentimes it's just aspects of ourselves that we've shut away intentionally because they're harder to look at. Yeah, I've often noticed that people have different beliefs around it, but I feel like it almost doesn't matter what your beliefs are around uh, non-physical entities, because if these entities are operating through your mind and we're all one, it's one large conscious mind this is the infinite creator's mind mm-hmm. operating through these seemingly um physical outward temporary forms mm-hmm. uh, it, it, on some level it's just a choice of of what what kind of being we want to um be and and so choosing our thoughts seems to relate to the choice of the reality that we that we've mm-hmm. selected Absolutely. I think that's dead on that no matter what it is, and none of us really know, right? Like like none of us can really be sure how it's actually all playing out. But what we can do is be highly aware of what our mind is giving us and be paying attention to what we choose to engage with based on what our mind is feeding us and what we choose to, um, you know, um, choose in terms of action as a result of those thoughts. So that's, that's the part of free will you know, that, that we get to consciously play a part in. Yeah. Would you like to go into any more details about your, your journey? Have you gone through dark nights of the soul? That, <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I think the, I've been through multiple very challenging experiences in my life. I think that one of the most challenging experiences for me was um, my cancer healing journey. And um, I was um, 36 years old when I was diagnosed with an aggressive form of breast cancer. And I had two young children at the time. And I had been sort of um, sloughed off by doctors because I was very healthy and they didn't think anything really was going on. And so they just kept delaying the testing. And then by the time I, we actually figured out what was going on, you know, it, it became a pretty serious situation. And, um, of course, my family and friends were all wanting me to get treatment immediately and do everything the doctor said as soon as possible. And, um, and because I had young children and because I was frightened initially by the statistics, I did start to follow the traditional protocol. But after two weeks of being involved in the traditional protocol, I just knew in my spirit that it wasn't, um, I just couldn't do that to my body. And not to say that that 
that isn't um, the best choice for other people. You know, some for some people, you know, it may be you you're most in alignment with just walking through the full traditional process and supporting yourself spiritually or with alternative support practices. But for me personally, it really became um, a very clear uh, point of choice for me between following my own inner guidance and following, you know, all these opinions and expectations of others and, you know, the social norms of just kind of doing what the medical system says. And so it was a very challenging time for me because I felt really alone, even in, um, even at that time, um, my partner who I was married to decided to leave me during the first week of treatment. And, um, my parents were freaked out that I was even considering, you know, dropping out of treatment. And I think some of the other, um, colleagues that I had, other psychologists, thought that I was pretty wacky, you know, for just trying to heal myself um, with alternative methods. Um, but the depths that I had to go into internally and um, connecting with that sense of, of resilience within myself was a very transformative process. And um, I was able to heal the cancer within a matter of about three weeks um, completely in my body through diet and metaphysical practices and doing the deeper emotional work. And it really um, enhanced my trust in myself and my trust in um, the fact that you know, there's there's a lot going on behind the scenes metaphysically, um, you know, in life that I think people don't realize their own power. And until you have to walk through something like that, where you're forced to choose for yourself, um, sometimes it's hard to believe. But I've, um, you know, had the pleasure, I see my cancer as a gift in my life, because it really helped me to learn my own power and learn that no matter what's going on in my reality or in my body, that I'm capable of um, shifting my consciousness and, and changing my reality. And I also think it was pretty stunning for the doctors, you know, and the people in my life. And the doctors even insisted on doing like an exploratory surgery because they're like, no, no, like this, you know, this, you know, this is impossible, you know? And so, you know, I allowed them to do a small exploratory surgery and there was no evidence of cancer found. And I think a lot of the people in my life were in awe. Um, but it was also a very scary, lonely experience where I did have moments of deep fear and panic and terror and um, am I crazy? And, you know, which I think is a part of a lot of awakening experiences where we're really pushed to the limits of our own beliefs in ourselves and in life. And um, once I had walked through that to the other side, though, I felt like I could do anything, you know, that really anything could happen and um, and that I can trust myself and I can create the life that I want to be living. Yeah, that's that's very powerful. So, so I, it it almost seems like maybe this is the case with a lot of people where so you had you had the belief at the start of the three weeks you had the belief that this could be healed metaphysically or maybe this could be healed metaphysically, but it wasn't like a sure knowing until you finally got through to the end. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think at the beginning when something like that happens, and I you know, and I was younger, so it was just it was a shock. It was I was it was totally unexpected. I think I didn't know what to think, you know, and I had been living 
um, a life where I used the medical system very sparingly, you know, unless I needed to, unless it was like for emergency medicine type of stuff. Um, and um, like to use a lot of holistic healing. Um, but um, I had to take some time to research, you know, and I was luckily I was able to find other people who had also felt inspired to try to heal in an alternative way and um, and relying on their faith and some of their practices. Um, I really committed to myself at a certain point in time. I'm going to do this. I'm going to heal. I'm going to heal myself. And um, that point of commitment, I didn't really look back from. But it did, it did take, uh, you know, moving from complete shock and terror and overwhelm to, okay, what, what are my choices here? And I just can't keep doing this to my body. This isn't how I'm going to heal my body. And, you know, and then really committing to that practice and not looking back. So I assume that th this has given you a stronger faith and the faith of others you mentioned is supportive. Do you feel that the... Um, the people who are your clients need some of this faith imparted for them to be able to find that their issues actually can be solved with the deeper inner healing as opposed to just looking for an outer solution. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I do. I think that, you know, one of the interesting paradoxes is that most people are looking outside of themselves for what they need. Um, and part of my job is to help them to realize that they really contain um, everything that they need to find a sense of peace and balance and purpose in their lives. But I have, you know, shared um, at certain times, you know, pieces of my experience to help them to see that, um, that, that it is possible, you know, to give them some of that faith um, or even just to say, I have faith in you. And until you do, then just rely on mine. And just take the next step, right? You know, like let's let's not listen to what your mind is saying about whether you're going to get better or not. Let's just take the next step and see what your experience shows you. And oftentimes, if people are willing to step into their fear and do something different, they see like, oh my gosh, my life does get better, or I am capable of doing this. And then they start to realize that they can trust themselves and turn to themselves for what they need. I suppose it has a lot to do with people's. Uh belief systems when they first come to see you. Um, do you feel like there's a difference between people who are like fundamentalist Christian? Do they do they have an openness to, the, to miraculous healing more so, or do they have a closeness to the potentials mm -hmm. that everything is um, something that needs to be worked on within first? Yeah. Yeah. It varies from person to person, you know, because I have worked with people who um, have a strong Christian background, but they're very open, you know, and they're very willing and um, and then I've worked with people who would um, identify as more spiritual and they're more closed and avoidant. And, you know, so it really, um, it depends on the person and willingness um, plays a big part, you know, willingness to just step into the unknown and get comfortable with the unknown, you know, because that's where true, true change happens. But um you know, I, I just to be totally transparent, I have, you know, a screening process for when I take on new clientele um, because I have such a wait list and because I have so many people that want to work with me that um, I won't work with people that don't have some idea of um, faith or openness in their life. It's just not a match for me. And we just won't be speaking the same language because there are a, a lot of people who come to me and say, 
um, well, I, I need help with depression or anxiety or my merit, marital problems or this or that, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm a staunch atheist and, you know, that that's just it. And I don't want to talk about it. And so, you know, for me to feel, to hold the space and help you to get to that faith within yourself, you have to have even just a little bit within yourself, um, to begin with, you have to have that opening. That's very fascinating. Yeah. I, I, I don't know how, how people can be close to faith and how that, how that takes hold, how people want that to be the truth of the universe is, is something that feels more distant and it's almost like a belief in separation is almost like the foundation from, from I guess, the philosophy that I'm, I've considered with the law of one, um, you know, opening to love, opening to the positive nature of the source of creation seems to be um, a, a part of this process that that is inspiring faith and inspiring the, the greater potentials. Um, so do, do you feel like, um, gosh, I, I I always I always wonder how to help how to help everyone. You know, it's like what 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 are the what are the real blockages with people? Um, is it do you think this a lack of faith would, would would something be something from childhood too? People just haven't addressed yet. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I do think some sometimes it could come from um, a childhood with parents that were very close minded and just said this is the way life is and. And then they never really questioned it. But also I've seen people who come from religious or spiritual backgrounds and they just feel like, well, until I have the proof, you know, until I know for sure, then really there's nothing and any belief in something beyond that is, you know, is is crazy or outside of my, you know, world worldview. Um, so, you know, people are interesting creatures and, and they come from all different backgrounds and they really decide themselves. And, you know, for some people, I think that they came here intentionally to, you know, struggle with that idea of faith. And I do have some clients like that who really want to believe or want to have some sense of connection or faith in their lives. And, um, that, that, you know, that was the path that they are choosing to walk is kind of coming from that place of complete doubt or complete separation and then finding their way to, you know, feeling more connected or having some sense of, of faith. But yeah, it's, it's hard to generalize. I think that, yes, if you come from this background, that this is going to, how you're, how you're going to turn out. And because I've seen it play out in so many different ways. Are there any books you recommend for people? For developing a sense of, of faith? Well, anything on the spiritual healing path. Mm -hmm. Oh my goodness. That's such a question. I mean, there's a lot of books. Yeah. that I, I mean, obviously the raw series are great. I think that um, introductory books um, on spirituality, like um, Michael Singer's books, um, The Untethered Soul, um, Eckhart Tolle's books on the power of now, um, just really starting to connect with this idea of a presence beyond the mind and beyond your conditioning. Um, I think Joe Dispenza's work can be really powerful in terms of um, looking at how to um, be more aware of the consciousness that you're emitting and, and being in control of writing a new story and creating a new outcome. But yeah, it... it um, it really depends on the person that's in front of me. I think the other um, book that's been really helpful for a lot of people is um, the book Self-Compassion by Kristen Neff. Um, and I think that the field of self-compassion has just been growing and growing and growing because we're such a critical 
society that's um, so overcome by um, the judgments of others and ourselves. And so I think that that book, and I think she also has a workbook now that um, is very helpful in terms of looking at how you relate to yourself in your own mind and how you can be more loving and forgiving of yourself and of others as a whole. Yeah, it seems like um, forgiveness seems central. Um, I, I kind of equate forgiveness and acceptance also. It's almost like also a word that seems to mean freedom from attachments. You know, mm. we're just let, letting go of the things we're holding on to with um, all of our beliefs and ideas around, you know, why the world has to be in this negative light that we're that we're holding it in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think forgiveness is a really key spiritual practice, and it, it, it really isn't about condoning anything, you know, but it's about releasing its hold on us in the present, and so that we're no, no longer carrying the density or the weight of those experiences or what it brings up in us, so that we are free of it. You feel like you had to forgive something in order to be healed of cancer? I did. I did have to forgive, um, you know, certain relationships in my life. I had to forgive myself, you know, for um, living in in shame of who I was and um, not allowing myself to really step out into the woman that I want to be. But yeah, I do think that, you know, forgiveness is a process. It's never a one-time thing where it's like, okay, well, I forgive my mom or I forgive my partner. It's it's a continual process of um, uh, living in forgiveness for the fact that we're all humans and we're all playing very specific roles in each other's lives. And there's gifts in all of it, even if it's very challenging, um, but, but no longer allowing that to bring down our frequency or bring, you know, create density in our field by holding those things. I think that's the importance of forgiveness because then it allows us to live in a lighter, clearer, more loving way if we can practice living in forgiveness. And it seems like it takes us more into the present too. A lot of times it seems like when we're focused on the future or the past, it's because of something that we're holding on to mm -hmm. or feeling that there has to be something different than the, the current present moment. And it's mm -hmm. like, everything is just a distraction from finding the peace in the present. Yes. Yeah. I would agree with you that I think if, if we don't consciously practice forgiveness, then we sort of wear that lens in our present and it affects our ability to really take in a new experience or to create a new reality if we're walking around with that lens. Well, it looks like we've reached about an hour. Uh, I, I know you have to get going soon. I, I think uh, we could we could wrap this up however you'd like. You, if you'd like to share anything else about your journey, um, mm -hmm. anything that you think people or also also I'm kind of curious, you know, it's like what are the things you see people dealing with and what what do you think our audience is dealing with that maybe they could use some pointers on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that um, most people who come to me that are looking for support around spiritual awakening are looking to peel back these layers of conditioning and beliefs and old behaviors to reveal, you know, the truth of who they are and a more aligned version of who they are so that they can then step out into the world and have a bigger impact, you know, and, and ripple in the fabric of consciousness, so to speak. And so that's what um, 
um, a lot of people come to me and they feel like when they're going to other therapists that they're getting tips and tricks for how to be less stressed or, you know, how to be stop being so negative or things like that. But they're not looking at the bigger picture of, you know, how do you really release some of these patterns of conditioning and patterns of thinking and patterns of behavior and patterns of choosing specific relationships, you know, that can help you step into the version of you that you're really wanting to be. And then how do you also attune to that broader version of you? So that's really, you know, the, the later part of our work together is not only kind of peeling back these layers of what prevent us from being fully who we are, but then how do we really embody that essence? You know, how do we really embody that light in a way that serves us to our fullest, highest potential, and then also serves the world in turn? Do you think that we all share a common purpose? That's that's a big question. You know, that's the ultimate question. I do think that we are here all playing a part in the evolution of life. You know, and I do think that the the one um, um, gets to know itself and understand itself more deeply through these individual expressions. And that, you know, we come here to experience challenge and pain and this and mortality and this feeling of separation because we can't experience these things outside of embodiment. You know, so I do think that we're helping life as a whole to evolve by coming in here and having these very different and dynamic experiences. So that's, and that's, you know, when I was speaking about purpose earlier, I think that that's how we can all do our part, right, is by doing our own internal work and being the brightest expression that we can possibly be, which also inspires others to do the same. And it also releases a lot of ancestral and generational patterning that the people that came before us in our lineage didn't have the tools or resources or the awareness, you know, or the willingness to do this work. And I think a lot of us on this planet at this time are willing, we're tired enough, you know, and we're really wanting to do it now to free our lineage of these types of patternings too, and to not pass it forward to future generations. And that's really how we're going to create a different humanity. Yeah. And it's, it's great that it feels like, you know, we, we have enough guidance, maybe our higher selves are we're, we're being guided on paths that we kind of can't go wrong because we keep getting the lessons, we keep getting the opportunities. And it's like, you know, everything is working out one way or the other, right? Right. Yes. Everything's here to serve us. There isn't really anything wrong. Even our deepest, darkest moments are some of the biggest gifts, you know, so it's all about how you're approaching it, how you're staying aware with it, how you're opening up to whatever life is bringing you, whoever life is bringing you so that you can learn and grow from it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So finding finding the reasons to be grateful in the moment seems to be continuously the, you know, the, the trick for me. Mm-hmm. Gratitude. Yeah, there's gratitude is so powerful. It's it's certainly something that I practice personally in my life throughout the day, multiple times a day. I think it is something that really helps us to attune to our true essence, no matter who we are. I think that, you know, living in a state of gratitude gets us closer to our truth and and it's contagious, you know, when we're 
walking around in gratitude, then people feel that and people are more inspired to do that as well. Well, I'm very grateful for this conversation today. Do you have anything else you'd, you'd like to get into or share? Um, I think we I think we covered a lot of ground. Yeah, I, I'm excited to release the rest of the series. The rest of the series, I know that the the video that is just being released is um, more so on the topic of emotions and how to have a healthy relationship with your emotions. Next, we're going to be talking about um, our relationship with our body. We're going to go more deeply into relationships and how relationships um, help to support our evolution. And then we're going to be talking a little bit more about, you know, how more specifically to live as essence, how to live more in tune with our higher self, so to speak. Um, and then putting all of these pieces together to hopefully be the best possible versions of ourselves. So I am really excited to continue putting those out for the community. And I welcome any questions, even if you, you know, don't feel inspired to work together directly. I'm always open to connecting with people from the community. If you feel inspired to reach out to me or you have a question or something to share, I would love to hear from you. We're all in this together. So I'm really grateful to be a part of all of it as well. And I'll make sure to hook it up so that the comments that people leave on the videos on Ascension Works TV should go to your email address so you can Great. interact through there too. Yes, yes. Please feel free to ask questions or if there's anything you need clarified, um, I would be happy to elaborate or, you know, to connect with you more. So feel free to reach out. All right. Thank you again, Star. This is really wonderful. And uh, thank you again for, for this awesome series. I know, I know people are loving it and I, and I hope people continue to tune in essential works tv and check out your next episodes yeah thank you so much mike for the opportunity it really is a pleasure thank you no problem thank you all right, all right. take care everybody yep till next time take care bye